Hello, everyone, and welcome to another ADRA Canada Insider. I'm your host, Frank Spangler, and uh, we're really glad that you have joined us today. And uh, today we have an episode that I think that you will really like. First of all, let's meet who we have around our table today. Uh, well, Michael's back again. All right. And? And Kayla. And I'm Teresa McMaster, accountant at ADRA Canada. And I'm Richard uh, Novlasky. I'm the Associate Director, Project Finance. All right. A big thank you to our guests today for being with us. And uh, what we usually like to do is have our guests tell us just a little bit about their life story uh, so that our listeners can get to know you and the people that work at ADRA. Let's maybe start with you, Richard. I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to uh, share and uh, spend some time with uh, each of you. I've been working for the church um, for almost 36 years now. Probably the latest before I joined ADRA was working in the Middle East Union, um, working there in, in uh, finance. A huge opportunity to, uh, to tour parts of the world that generally isn't uh, normally thought of as places to go traveling. What kind of countries, when you're in the Middle East Union, what, for people who don't know, where, where is that? So we were living in Beirut. Previous to that, the Middle East Union office was situated in Cyprus simply because it wasn't safe to live in Beirut. But since things have settled down, the office had opened up in Beirut. Uh, there were 14 countries that I was involved in. Um, that would be in the Gulf countries. That would be Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Sudan, um, Cyprus. Um, so there's about 14 in total. Wow. What years were these that you were living and working there? So I was there from 2007 to the end of 2012, just over five and a half years. Okay. So that was around the time that uh, like Egypt and Libya had uh, the Arab Spring, right? Right. And uh, I actually uh, went to Egypt uh, soon after that. I remember going through uh, the famous square, and uh, they would stop you and search your bags and make sure you weren't bringing anything in, and uh, you would wander around. It's a really fascinating experience just to be in some of these places where news is happening. Was Yemen one of your countries? Yes, I spent uh, a fair amount of time in Yemen. That's actually one of my favorite countries. It's like stepping back in time. Mm. Um, it's just really a fascinating country. People are extremely friendly. But we have an ADRA office in Yemen, and uh, that is very involved in uh, a lot of projects, various capacities. Yeah, it, was, it was interesting to work with the people. Of course, there are very few expats living in the country, so the office is predominantly made up of, of locals, uh, Muslims, both male and female, that are working in the office. Wow. And it, it's just really was a great experience to get to know them on a very personal level. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that ADRA Canada has just received a project uh, funding for doing some emergency relief there in Yemen. And uh, so I might want to talk to you a little bit more about that a little later. Sure. And then how did you move from the Middle East uh, to Canada? And uh, how, did, how did you end up working here at ADRA Canada office? Well, when my term was over in the uh, Middle East Union uh, and we came back to Canada, I had the opportunity to uh, work for Canada. Uh, I was first hired on as the controller, uh, basically in charge of all the accounting processes in the office. So, uh, yes, it gave me an opportunity in working for ADRA, also working in areas that I was familiar with working in the Middle East, because, mm. of course, we have had projects both in Syria, Lebanon, uh, and even in Iraq. So I've been able to work with some of the same people 
um, some of the same areas. So I've appreciated that. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful to have someone with that uh, Middle East experience. I mean, really, when you work for ADRA, it's like your office is the world. I mean, mm-hmm. how much better can that be? Yeah, yeah so true. <laughs> now, I'm curious, what does a controller do? Certainly doesn't seem to control anybody. <laughs> 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 Teresa's laughing. That <laughs> was controller. Uh, originally, my task was uh, to handle all the accounting functions. Um, so that involved pretty much every aspect of accounting, from uh, all the entries for our projects, making sure the accounting entries are received from the field, that our books include all of the financial data, which of course allows us then to uh, make our financial uh, decisions and or be able to manage our projects. Uh Uh, Financial information is critical. Also within the actual ADRA office itself, of course, we have our own payables, receivables, payroll, all the different accounting items that that make up our accounting package. Again, um, our big set of books, the board reviews our financial statements every month, Um, So that takes time to do that. Certainly we are audited every year, so we need to make sure our accounting books are in place. Everything is as according to generally accepted accounting principles. So basically all that exciting work that could almost put a normal person to sleep just excites me. (laughs) It excites you. Absolutely, working with numbers. You know, numbers... I mean, really, they tell a story, right? They're not just numbers on a page. We're talking about lives changed. Mm. I mean, those Mm. numbers represent, you know, health packets. They represent tents. They represent clothes. Um, They actually represent something. They're not just numbers. And so that's, that's kind of the exciting part. And I'm dealing with a picture of reality, a picture of Adra being able to actually help somebody. Oh, that's a wonderful way to see it. I wouldn't have probably taken that perspective if I was trying to do the accounting. I think I'm very accountant uh, challenged. So I have a lot of respect for accountants, I have to say. Teresa, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, Hello, I'm Teresa. I come from Nova Scotia. And it's kind of an interesting story as to how I came to work at ADRA. I had just finished school and I had this desire in my heart that I wanted to work for the church. But here I was stuck out in the Maritimes, no jobs out there. I am a mom, so I have three girls and I knew that I wanted to put them into an Adventist school but the opportunity was not down there so you know what I just blindly applied for jobs all over the place all over the world actually I just sent in my resume and I said you know what Lord whatever you have for me it will happen and it just so happened that a friend of mine from church sent me a link to the accounting position at ADRA Canada and now I had studied accounting in university and I didn't have much experience working but I had the degree so um, a friend of mine sent me the job link and I looked at it and I said they're in Ontario they're not going to be interested but hey you know I'm I'm going to try for it so I sent my resume in and to my surprise Richard here sent me a letter saying you know thank you for your resume and we will be doing the interviews at such and such a time and we will let you know and I was like oh okay one person answered did you know Richard because <laughs> I know that Richard worked I knew in the, the Maritimes name. Okay. yes I did know the name um, I remember Richard and his family years ago in the Maritimes So I wasn't sure if he would recognize my last name or not. I'm not sure if you did, Richard. No, actually I did, because of course I had spent time working with your father, who was Mm -hmm. uh, the first elder of the church. Of the the New Glasgow Time in the Maritimes, Mm -hmm. as I was the uh, secretary treasurer. That's right. So I knew of your family. I think I had met you, but that had been years before, so really didn't know what to expect. (laughs) 
<laughs> still don't know. Still, don't know. still surprising him every day. <laughs> still don't know. So, and that's you know, why Teresa was laughing so much when you said you couldn't control anyone. That's right. I'm like, <laughs> yes. controller? Right. <laughs> so, you know, I know as you said, uh, Teresa, you put it out, you know, God places you. I know I, mm-hmm. have, I have learned at times, I mean, because I was one of the people who interviewed you. That's mm-hmm. right. And, and, of course, as controller at the time, you would be working for me. Uh, working in the accounting. And so there are always lots of people, lots of of good people. There's always someone else that has a resume better than yours when you're looking for a job. Mm -hmm. So, you know, God really, I believe, places people where he needs them. Sounds like you're saying your resume wasn't any good. (laughs) No, I didn't didn't say that. Actually, Teresa had a very good resume. She said she, she had studied. I guess you graduated from where? I graduated from St. Mary's University in Halifax. Um, Yes, I had a good resume, but I didn't have much experience. And I remember that the application said they wanted somebody with two years, or sorry, the the job opening. So I was like, oh, I don't have that, but maybe they'll look past that, which obviously they did. Yes, and that's kind of... I mean, standard, We uh, ideally, it's good to get people with mm-hmm. experience. Uh, but how do you get experience if you don't get the job? That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recognizing position we were looking for, yeah, you, you had the background. When it comes to work for the church, certainly for ADRA, we still need professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not anybody can do these tasks. More and more now, the demands uh, for the kind of work that we do really, really demands people who have expertise, have knowledge, have the ability if nothing else, to learn uh, and to add to the education that they have. And so we saw that, that you had that. And I've learned in, in interviews that you may have a mindset for you may like this one over this one, or you may be looking a certain direction. But when you sit together as a group and you talk about you know the resumes, you talk about the people, you, you listen to them, you just know that as you come to decisions as a group, um, I have recognized God's leading. And mm. certainly in this case, you were chosen. And uh, I know it's been a good choice. I have enjoyed working with you. <laughs> well, Richard, I appreciate the compliment. Uh, just, just to carry on, um, and what happened was after I had uh, submitted that application and he had emailed me and told me that, it just so happened to be Adventurers Weekend at Camp Pugwash. And I took my kids down. I was depressed at this point, not finding a job, not knowing what God wanted for us. Mm-hmm. Funny thing was, I had given God a timeline. By September, you need to have us where you want us to be. Well, guess what? But September came and was leaving and God hadn't answered my prayer. So I was a little bit depressed, went down for this weekend, um, stayed with a dear friend of mine. I told her about the job opening at ADRA and I told her that it was Richard Novleski and she says to me, Teresa, he's here this weekend. I was like, oh, she's like, let me talk to him. I was like, yes, please do. So it turns out that that weekend, not only was Richard in Camp Pugwash, so was James Asselford because he was doing a presentation for the adventurers. Teresa. Yes. James was the director at the time. The executive director. The executive director, yes. Um, So little did I know that God was answering my prayer right there that weekend Mm. through my depression, through my upset, just not on my timeline Mm -hmm. like I had wanted it to be. And um, so we had this impromptu job interview one night in Richard's trailer. You know, it went okay. They said that they would contact me further. So I walked away saying, oh, I don't know. So sure enough, I got an email from Adra a couple days later saying that they wanted to schedule a second phone interview. So we had it scheduled. Um, I drove away from my noisy house so that I could concentrate, (laughs) sitting in my car, you know, cell phone in hand, shaking, just waiting 
So the phone rang. There was Richard, Stephen Keyes, and James Asselford, all sitting um, with what I imagined to be the conference room upstairs. Mm, Correct? Right, yes. yes. You know, giving me the phone interview. I was incredibly nervous. I don't remember much of the interview. I do remember Richard asking me what he would call a trick question or maybe a, oh, a, they, they a prob- skill were, testing question. Yeah, they were probably all trick questions. Yeah, probably. <laughs> knowing Richard now. <laughs> And, you know, I thought about it for a minute and then I came up with an answer. Well, little did I know after that, that I was one of the only people who got it right. Correct? Yes. You know, so again, God's leading right there. Mm. But it was a simple debit and credit question. Yes. After all, you're supposed to be an accountant. So, yes, you, you were the only one really of the team that was interviewed that really got the question correct. Yeah, it's it, it still boggles my mind. Not that I answered it correctly, but just how everything came together, you mm. know. And um, I remember uh, driving home from that interview thinking, well, I think I flunked it, but at least I got good experience. And about an hour later, I get an email from James saying, we want to go further, please send your references. And I was like, really? You know, I was shocked. (laughs) So like I said, little did I realize that God was leading right then and there. He was working everything together. He had this adder job planned out for me from the beginning. And everything that I was applying to wasn't working because God was like, nope, just wait, just wait, just wait. I got the right spot. So long story short, I've been here just short of five years. I can totally see that God brought me here. Like there is just no way that this could have turned out any better for my family and I. And I am very grateful for that and for the leading. And do I enjoy working at Adra Canada? Absolutely. And we enjoy having you. (laughs) As do I. So while you were there, did you actually make it out to the Promise Project site? I did not make it out to the site. But I'll tell you one thing that was interesting, as boring as accounting work is, I'm not going to lie because my schedule was, you know, uh, because I was so jet lagged, I was going there looking over their papers and falling asleep, you know. (laughs) Which you never do in the office. No, never. (laughs) What about you, Richard? Well, that's... <laughs> so it's just it was very monotonous work looking you know reviewing their their books and whatnot and then seeing these receipts for you know the purchase of goats mm. and for the purchase of cooking pots and this and that and then it you know it just dawned on me wow when I'm looking at my spreadsheet back at the Adra Canada office and I'm seeing these line items on the budget for purchase of 100 goats purchase of this and that, you know, uh, training for mothers with infants, stuff like that. I thought to myself, wow, here I am looking at the receipts of the implementation of this happening. So even though I didn't get to the field, I got to see, you know, it just, it connected so much better. Okay, wow, this is what they're doing, you know? So that that was probably the neatest experience for me, you know? I'm just like, oh yeah, this is line 47 on the budget, you know? It's almost like your work and their work coming together. Exactly, exactly. I finally got it. You know, it clicked. This is what they do in this project. So the actual work you were doing, Teresa, is what? That was compliance work, It was compliance work. So each each one of our project accountants is required to do compliance (laughs) audits, basically, reviews. Uh, which, which means you're looking at the receipts, you're making sure that, that the expenses are actual expenses, mm-hmm. that they reflect the activity of a particular project, that it is allowed as far as agreements with the donor. So it's kind of a very technical aspect of what we do. And yes, at times can be considered a little boring, yes. but it's really critical to what we do, isn't it? And that's why I shouldn't have fell asleep, but absolutely, it is critical to what we do. And um, It's okay, we can go back and dock your time. time? What, just, just, just let me know what we... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's the time difference? 
Uh, the time difference is actually only six hours. Oh, okay. But it was enough to make yeah. an impact on me every morning, you know, when I thought mm-hmm. I should still be in bed. Yeah. Right. I actually, I find a lot of the times those, uh, like, the five, six, seven-hour time difference is a lot harder to adjust to than, like, a straight 12-hour time difference. Because then you can just flip your schedule, whereas, like, a six-hour time difference, mm-hmm. your, your brain is always telling you, oh, no, no, it's... It's yeah. only it's only three o'clock in the morning at home. What, yeah, what am exactly. I doing? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then at night it's eleven o'clock there, and you're like, but it's only five p.m. Yeah, at you're home. wide awake. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, I've always had a harder time with the six-hour time yeah. difference. Probably one of the differences too is because the time is so much closer. It means you can do more work back home at the office. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So although you do a full day mm-hmm. at the Rwanda office, just as you get back to the hotel at five thirty, you know, the Adra office here is just kind of. It's going strong, so yeah. now you got to go on Skype and you got to mm-hmm. deal with issues here. And so basically, at eleven o'clock Rwanda time, your office is finally closed at five five thirty. So that makes it a little tougher when you're in the field, yeah. trying to have to kind of get both things done. So um, that's right. So we'll forgive you for sleeping. Okay, it was just once, <laughs> just for the record. <laughs> so while you were there in Africa, after you finished your your audit, uh, did you get a chance to see a little bit of Rwanda? I I did not get a chance to see so much of Rwanda. We definitely um, went around the city of Kigali quite a bit. I did get the chance to see the genocide memorial. And that was one thing that um, I had been wanting to see. And, you know, the whole time I was there, it's such a beautiful, clean country. And I would be walking up and down the streets by myself with Richard as well sometimes. But, and, you know, I couldn't help but think, wow, 24, 25 years ago, what was going on here was devastating. So just the thought of that was something all in itself and seeing the genocide memorial. And I remember as a child, you know, I was about 12, it all over the news about this genocide in Rwanda. And, um, you know, here I was. So that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Rwanda really has come a long way. And that's that's true. And the part we see, of course, because we deal with the accounting is is in Kigali, which is becoming very modern. Mm-hmm. But I guess the work of where we go is more into the country, and that's a little more behind. It's it's not quite as modern. As modern. So what we see in Kigali, you, you'd ask yourself, so why, why are we here? Why do we need it here? But there are areas and pockets, certainly in the rest of the country, mm-hmm. um, yes. that, that has need, great yeah. need. But but while you're there, you're still, as you said, Teresa, you're always looking over your shoulder wondering, so am I safe? Am I? That's right. Should I yeah. be here? You know, yeah. especially when your Google doesn't quite work and we're walking and almost get lost. And that <laughs> did happen. Richard oh, really? and I went for a walk at dusk and uh, we were, you know, taking a different road. It was within the city. And um, I looked at Google Maps and I said, oh, OK, no, let's go up here. And we're going to turn right on this road, and it should bring us back to where our hotel was. Well, Google Maps didn't have it right. Oh so here we were, the darkness approaching, and we were on this deserted dirt road. It was a little bit scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and if, if you've been to Kigali, the streets aren't laid out like most cities here in Canada, where it's north, south, east, west are the predominant streets. In, mm. in Kigali, it's like somebody threw spaghetti at a board and that's <laughs> up, down and around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, so, so we expected to end up where we wanted to, but uh, no, we could have taken a shortcut through a field. But there may have been snakes. Yeah, getting dust. <laughs> We're too sure what we would experience. We thought maybe we had to go back and stick to the road. So, and yeah. if I'm not mistaken, we kind of ran a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> back to the main oh, road. <laughs> Well, the, we're glad you, were, the, you guys made it. Those are the fun we times. We were glad we made it too, trust me. Yeah. 
<laughs> but they do say Rwanda is very safe, even in the yes. evenings. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I think muggings are few, if ever. You're, you're, they don't steal, rob. Um, so it, it has mm-hmm. really come a long way. So you, you do feel fairly confident, comfortable. So Richard, tell us about some of your most recent travel. Where have you been lately? Okay, well, I, I spent uh, a week with Teresa, and you were there with Alice as well. Uh, there was a three of us, then. and I think Calvin. Calvin was there from the office, who was the project manager. For um, Promise, yes. For Promise. You know, our, our jobs, when you're away from home, it's always a little unsettling. Uh, mm-hmm. It's good to be working there with colleagues. You don't feel so alone. I know one of the things that I enjoyed every day in the Agile Rwanda office is that somebody would come in and bring us a big pot of tea and some mundazis, if I'm saying it right. They're like a donut hole. Okay. And they're delicious. Timbit. You know, yeah, like a big, huge Timbit, right? Okay. And every day somebody would come in and bring us those and tea. So they really took care of us and they would always come in and say hi. Yeah. Good morning. You yeah. know, they would always pop in. So what a lovely, friendly office. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yes, I spent some time in Rwanda. And then after Rwanda, I spent a week in Zambia. We have a project in Zambia as well. Okay. Yeah. So I was there to do some compliance review. And, uh, Interesting project. Uh, again, I stayed just in the ADRA Zambia office um, where I basically froze <laughs> because it's winter. So you think Africa is warm, but it's not always warm. And if you go to Zambia, which is a little further south of the equator, this was in uh, July. In July. But July in, in Zambia or southern Africa is, is winter. Yeah. And of course, they don't, they don't heat their buildings. Uh-huh. Right? So it's like 15 degrees outside, but you're really quite cold inside. Yeah. You know, so your hands start to get a little cold. Um, your whole body starts to kind of freeze. Good thing I had at least one small jacket. It's just something you don't think would happen if you visit <laughs> if Africa. If you're in yeah. Africa. Yeah. Like just no. your, your uh, stereotypical yeah. view of what Africa is. is yeah. like exactly. Hot savanna or desert or... Right. And and to think that you were you were cold. It's, yes. It's, <laughs> Which yeah. is funny. I thought when I went, you know, me thinking that Africa was always hot, I thought I'd come back with this marvelous tan. <laughs> and it turns out that that was more likely to have happened in Canada at that yeah. time <laughs> than in right. Africa. Right. In Kigali, because it's higher up in elevation, I don't think they ever break 30. They're generally the yeah. mid, mid no, to high they 20s. Don't. They don't. That's the normal temperature. Anything in the high 20s is a heat wave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Zambia, it was a little less than that. Although Zambia gets very hot in their summertime, kind of unbearable. So for me, working in the, in the office, not only you know, do we do compliance work and we're, we're checking the books, but we're not just checking to make sure it's done and we walk out of there. We spend a lot of time with the staff themselves. Uh, we talk about what they're doing. We talk about how they're doing their job. We take a look at the worksheets they're working on, how we can improve them, how we can work together so that we understand or they at least understand what we're asking for. Uh, they can give us the data that we want, that they can do their jobs smarter, they can do their jobs quicker. So we spend a lot of time training and working with them, kind right. of improving mm-hmm. their skills right. as well. And it's Well, that's for, interesting. Yeah. We, uh, in a recent podcast, we had someone write in a question, why in this day and age is it necessary for your staff to go and visit in the field so much? Why can't you just do your meetings on Skype uh, or emails? Why is it necessary for accountants, for example, to go and visit the offices? And maybe you could just... Well, first off, Skype doesn't always work in in these countries. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Internet is not the same every place you go. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. When you're working with, you know, as close as you are with the offices we are, um, it at least is good to have met 
so you can kind of have a visual Absolutely. to talk to the people, to get to know the people. Develop a relationship. Yeah. Yes. Developing a relationship is with so your, important. With your partners. And not only that, it's rather impossible to do a compliance audit at a distance. You know, you're sitting down and going through their big stacks of paper auditing receipts. Right. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. something that can be done. Turned out to be a blessing that we went and audited when we did because Global Affairs Canada was actually planning to go and audit the Promise Project a month after we had been there. So it was a blessing that we were there and we were auditing and going through so that we could kind of pave the way for the auditor from GAC to come and do his work efficiently. So yes, it is necessary to be there. Tell me what a compliance audit is. Maybe people would like to know. So what is a compliance audit, Teresa? I was about to ask you that, Richard. Oh, no. Our auditors, <laughs> our accountants don't know what they're doing. Uh, compliance audits where we actually uh, we review through the, the client's books. So we would see the actual receipt invoice. We would see the documentation. If it's required to have three quotes, we would see the three quotes listed. Right. We would see the documentation of why they chose the quote that they did. So we see the receipt. Uh, quite often, we'll see copies of the canceled check or how they paid it, whether it was in an electronic funds transfer or if it was a cash payment. So we would kind of see the physical paper documentation, see the stamps, see the signatures that support an expense that they would then post into their books. Mm -hmm. Which is important because you're looking at some major items. I mean, when when we're speaking of the government's money, you know, we need to make sure that every single dollar spent has been properly documented. So we would have a guideline, we would have um, a copy of their policy, and we would make sure that, that all these items, you know, all these expenses are according to policy. When the government is funding this money, They want to make sure that things are running smoothly. So we are there to kind of aid the office with making sure that everything is properly documented. And so that's kind of the whole meaning of compliance, right? I see. Okay. Yes. Good. So you asked the question earlier, why, you know, why do we go there? Why don't we just talk to them on Skype? Because you have to remember that all the projects that ADRA Canada does overseas, they are ADRA Canada projects. That's I mean, right. we are the owners of the projects. We They're are not, the donor office. That's right. They're not the Rwanda, ADRA Rwanda project and we're helping them. Right. They're the ones helping us with our project, mm-hmm. meaning that we are totally responsible for the outcome. That's right. Um, what happens on these projects is our project. And so when we're audited by, say, Global Affairs Canada, um, they look at it as we're totally responsible. You know, whatever documentation, whatever we do, it's beholden to us to make sure we have it all in place. And so it's important that we go. That Global Affairs assumes that we're going to be monitoring, reviewing. They mm-hmm. kind of expect that we should be in the field some to be there to oversee our projects. So that's, that's all a part of, of what we do. That's right. Um, we own our projects. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, what would happen if Global Affairs showed up at uh, one of our project offices and found there to be a big problem? How would that affect future proposals that we submit to the government. You know, we've never experienced that. In that <laughs> Thankfully, yeah. <laughs> yeah then let's hope we never do. And that's yeah. probably because you're visiting <laughs> yeah. the field, that's right? That's right. No, actually, you know, we, we were audited in our office, and I, I talked to the auditor, and I said, so, you know, when you come to ADRA Canada, you know, what are you thinking? I mean, h- how does the government view our offices? And uh, I got a very good report. You know, the auditor says, no, you have done projects well in the past. And so, you know, they look at past audits, 
past histories. And, you know, we have a million dollar projects and maybe it might be in the hundreds of dollars um, for items of discrepancies. We, we actually have a good reputation, a good name out there, uh, which is good. And so that's, that's another reason why we do the compliance audits, because we want to keep that right. record. That's right. We want to keep that that name. I mean, <laughs> we're a professional organization, so that's just how we do things. That's right. Right? That's how ADRA does things. And so we try to incorporate that in their office as well. We try to impress upon them that should something go wrong with their project, it affects the ability for us to do projects in other countries. All over the you know, world. We mm-hmm. may not be the largest donor in an office, but should that project not come out well, that may be a deterrent for other projects that we may do in other offices where, you know, they are more dependent on the work that we do. So it's beholding on us to have successful projects, you know, wherever we go, right? Right. Um, That's the nature of it. So going into the field, getting to know the individuals, working with the accountants, training the accountants, having a clear understanding of what expectations that we have, you know, the expectations that they have. Uh, so that we can work together to a successful audit, that just seems to work for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier that it's fun. So I just want to ask again, <laughs> when you're looking at the books and you're having to compare receipts and bills and quotes, this is fun? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Teresa? Well, you know, as I mentioned before, it, it was kind of fun for me because I was able to put things together, right. you know, like, oh, this is this line item in the budget. So, yeah, you know, looking through them and just seeing the, the work you do actually being done on the other side. Mm-hmm. I found that fun. I found it fulfilling, you know. Wow. Right. Yeah, because like you say, you're looking at line items all day, every day in the That's office right. here in Canada. So to, right. to be able to get out into the field and actually yeah. realize, that, hey, this isn't just lines on an excel document this yep. is actually this is work being done yeah. and to like help richard people. said this yeah this is people being helped yeah yes. every so, every dollar is absolutely going towards right. somebody being so you can see the people behind the numbers then it exactly really is fulfilling. Right. and there is a sense of fulfillment in that yes mm-hmm. so that you know that could be a little stretch to say it's fun um, <laughs> i'm i'm guessing you know everyone chooses their career path yeah and uh, mm-hmm. i think absolutely to be an accountant uh, in this kind of work, there is a certain amount of detail that you have to be willing and have to know that you're going to be doing some detailed work and some detailed checking, and they have to kind of keep at it till it's done. Um, I suppose there's aspects to everyone's job that maybe isn't as exciting, um, but it is necessary. So we do that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what's the interesting part is once we come up with the compliance work, and we write out, you know, areas where they, we think there can be improvements, um, and we come up with a report. There's always that exit interview. Now, Teresa, yes, this was your first exit interview yes. um, that you were there. Alice was the lead. Um, mm-hmm. You certainly took a part, and and you kind of shared some things. So, you know, how did that go? What did you think of that? exit interview that we had in Rwanda? I think it went really well, and I think it was really well received, you know, and during the interview, the exit interview, it it was, you know, they were very aware of where the issues were, you know, they were, they seemed very on top of it, and, um, you know, we came away saying, wow, we've got some competent people over here that, you know, we're working well with, and so it was interesting, and it was definitely something that I liked, 
So it, for sure. So at times they could be a little challenging of mm-hmm. some of our ideas and some of, of the things we found, which I think kind of adds to the mix because they see things one way, we see things mm-hmm. another way. And trying to have that interaction of, you know, how best to do it. I think my way's better. I think my, you know, your way's There's better. There's always that. Yeah. Or they say, no, I think this item should be on this line item. We say, no, this item should be on that line item. So... You know, at times, you know, we're just not stuck in a cubicle, but we're sitting around a table with a group of people having discussions, having interactions. And at times those can be very, very enlightening, very challenging. And so, you know, I, I enjoy those times and, and I appreciate it when the accountants we work with are very passionate in their work as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and I commented to them, hey, you know, although we didn't always agree, I appreciate the fact that you're passionate what you do. You think it should be done this way. You, you like it to be done that way. This is why you do it. I says, that's how we grow together. That's right. right. And so I, I appreciated the fact that they don't just don't say, okay, you're from head office. This is the way you want to do it. We'll do it your way. And then when we leave, they do it their way. Right. So at least this way we have discussions. We kind of work it out together. They have their ideas and we have ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of our work is, is coming to those understandings, is, is dealing and working with people. And, and that's kind of the exciting part. Yeah. I mean, really, what better time can you have than a bunch of accountants sitting around a table <laughs> in a room? Well, I think it really goes to show that God gives each of us different uh, personalities mm-hmm. for a reason and uh, different talents and abilities. So, right. and, and I appreciate not everybody recognizes that. I mean, at nighttime, my wife says, look, I'm having a hard time sleep. Why don't you tell me what you did today? <laughs> and that'll make her sleep, yeah. yeah. Put her to sleep every time. Yeah, so. exactly. Yes, I I appreciate not everybody has the same kind of sense of humor or the same kind of drive uh, to want to do these jobs. And hey, after that exit interview, they took us out to eat. There you go. So, you know, it went really well. (laughs) It was very kind of them. Well, we appreciate you and uh, thank you for coming in today. Before we let you go, we always like to ask our guests to tell us some interesting travel adventure that they may have had or travel experience. And this was just your first trip, Teresa. I do have one, though. You do have one? Okay, I sure let's do. hear it. Let's hear it. Okay. So every month in Rwanda, they take a Saturday that they designate for cleanup. And that's probably why the country and the streets are so clean and beautiful, mm-hmm. because it's required. Once it's a called, month, you said? Once a month. It's okay. called, okay, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I'm pretty sure it's called Umuganda. <laughs> if anybody's listening and it doesn't sound right, I apologize. Um <laughs> Send the emails to Teresa (laughs) (laughs) at Andrew.ca. But anyways, so this is a Saturday that is designated strictly for cleanup, which means no cars on the road because they're emitting toxins all over the air. We didn't know that. So we're at our hotel, excited to go to church, um, waiting for our driver. And he's not coming. He's not coming. He's not coming. We don't know what's going on. So I think we took a few selfies and kind of killed the time nicely, right? So then finally, when the driver arrived, arrives we find out that he has been pulled over by the police because it's umaganda and he's driving so we we get into the car and um i still don't quite know what's going on but there's you know the big tough police officer (laughs) a little bit intimidating wants to see proof that we are adventists because apparently adventists are allowed to go to church and that's the only cars that should be on the road on saturdays on that particular cleanup day is the adventist going to church 
So um, here we were, you know, me shuffling through my stuff, trying to figure out how am I going to prove to this guy that I'm a Methodist? <laughs> <laughs> so I had my ADRA ID card and I showed it to him. I'm like, surely they know what ADRA stands for. Surely they do. So he was looking at it, looking at it. I could tell he was just kind of puzzled. And then he just gave it back to me and he waved us away. But... <laughs> But yeah, I learned that there's that Uganda day. It's very interesting. But hey, at least they let us go to church on that mm-hmm. day. Praise God. Yeah, because I believe they charge them $6 oh, a day wow. if they don't participate in it. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, the way I think the Adventists then are expected on the Sunday after that day to get out and clean. Yes, so, I did. Did you get out and clean? I, I didn't go clean. <laughs> um, don't tell anybody. Shame. I know. So they go with plastic bags picking up stuff? Or Or like with brooms sweeping the streets. There's all kinds of things that's expected to be done. But again, the streets are clean. Did I say plastic bags? You said plastic bags. Plastic bags are illegal in Rwanda. Yes. Yes. If they find them in your suitcase, they will take them from you. Yeah. Oh, my. Wow. When you show up at the airport and if your suitcase has been wrapped in plastic, you need to take it off right there and they put it in the garbage. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when when you go around looking... And they do have that cleanup day. I don't see any garbage for them to pick up. I mean, really, they just don't drop it either. I mean, it is clean. So mm-hmm. there's not a lot to do. They're sweeping a lot of dust. Yeah, there, yeah. I think, I think it has to do with to they, do. they then have a sense of ownership. Like, right. Why would I throw my trash out now if I'm going to have to pick it up at the end of the month? Right. So, right. so they've been absolutely. trained well. Well, I think you can also be fined if someone sees you dropping a bottle. Uh, okay. They do have fines for that as well. You know, when you travel, of course, you're not always sure what you're going to get for food when you get there. And you want to be careful because you can get sick. I think you've been sick before, haven't you, I, Michael? Yeah, I think we've all been sick at least. Well, <laughs> I've had some spells. No, yeah. Teresa and Kayla are both shaking their heads. They, they've they've, uh, they've avoided the... And you went to Nepal, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't get sick? No. <laughs> she just brought a suitcase full, <laughs> full, full of food. food. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you do have to be careful. Sometimes, depending on where I go, I will bring some things with me. You know, in Rwanda, of course, they have lunch there for all the staff, and the staff members contribute towards it. So I always felt guilty that I wasn't contributing anything. So I thought, well, how about I bring some food for them? And I thought, well, I can bring dessert. So I thought I'd bring a couple pies. I bought a blueberry pie, and I bought an apple pie. And so I put that in my suitcase. Uh, I froze it before I left, thinking that a frozen pie is, is certainly going to travel a lot better um (laughs) but you know i don't want you but you're always in a rush the last minute to try and get everything packed and get everything going they didn't always always get everything the way i wanted so when i pulled the pies out of the freezer and i put it in kind of a a freezer bag the freezer bag wasn't quite big enough for the pies so it was kind of open at one end i couldn't seal it i thought it's frozen no problem just gonna put it in my suitcase but you know i guess when you're on flight for 30 hours uh they tend to thaw out (laughs) (laughs) and uh, i should have put the pie in upside down to start with because when they load your suitcase they're always putting it in upside down so my pie was upside down in my suitcase on the plane for probably well over 30 hours Uh, when i finally got (laughs) and that's not including sitting on tarmacs in different airports probably probably not and i guess it's not so frozen in cargo yeah (laughs) (laughs) so when i got to the hotel at about two in the morning, uh, open up my suitcase. And, uh, you know, apple pies are actually quite runny. (laughs) 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 And this one seemed to leak through the cardboard, the plastic, and out the one end, of course, that was open. And it started leaking inside my suitcase on top of my binders with my paper. 
Um, Blueberries? Well, you know, blueberry pies aren't as runny. Oh, really? No, they're not. <laughs> and so it was, it was a little messed up inside. Uh, the apple pie was more of an apple crumble pie, right? It still tasted good. Well, that's good. Oh, you still eat it. Of course. <laughs> uh, I actually shared it at the office. Uh, they weren't too sure about the apple pie. didn't look too good, but the blueberry pie kind of stayed together. So it didn't run out, but yes, the apple pie kind of, kind of messed up inside of my suitcase. Maybe next time you can try maple syrup. Yeah. Well, Sealed. I, yeah. A maple yeah. syrup pie. <laughs> yes, well, I, I will do that. So I have since brought in a, a uh, key lime pie. That actually traveled well. Um, so you tried again. Sure, why not? <laughs> Richard, thought, Richard takes a few times to learn lessons. Yeah, I apparently. thought maybe I'd learned a few lessons. So. Now, does it not, did you not smell like apple pie? Did I not hear that part as well before? Oh, maybe a little bit. No. Okay. Well, actually, Everybody just assumed it was some sort of apple-scented cologne Actually, or you know, with the key lime pie, I put it on my carry-on bag that I carried it on the plane. Mm. So I could keep better track of it. Now, ah, see, you did learn a lesson. Yeah. Yes, I, I did learn a lesson. So... Yeah, so we try to share things, right? Try to bring things. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. You talk about maple syrup. Yeah, and we bring that. You think, well, who wouldn't like maple syrup? Or even in this case, who wouldn't like my blueberry pie, right? But some of the people didn't finish it because they just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's what they're used to, right? They're That's not right. used to maple syrup. Uh, they're not used to pies. And I know in, in Africa, they're not used to sweet. I think they're more into savory. And so, yeah, things that we think are special and we like, they don't always. Although I must say, I brought them um, those maple leaf shaped maple cookies that you get in Canada and they ate them up very quickly. Yeah. (laughs) And and I think a lot of that has to do with, I think that's something that we often bring to Rwanda. So they've been, they've had. Oh, I thought it was the first. They've had 25 years of experience. Oh, I totally thought I was the first. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, Teresa. (laughs) You just burst my bubble. So we, we enjoy our trips. Yes, we uh, do. We oh, enjoy yeah. our foods. And we enjoy the new foods. And the culture, the wonderful people, the work we do, and how God takes care of us. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing those stories. Now we've come to that time in the podcast where we take your questions. If you have a question about what ADRA does and why we do the things that we do, please send in your questions to touch at adra.ca. We want to hear from you. And today's question is, does ADRA only help Adventists? Short answer? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Long answer. Uh, I'll give it a shot. Okay. okay. Um, so no, ADRA doesn't only help Adventists. Because sometimes the name the Adventist Development and Relief Agency kind of gives some people the connotation or the inference that it's an organization that is set up to help Adventists. By Adventists for Adventists. Yes. But that's not the case, and um, it's never been the case for ADRA. Our mandate has always been to help those in need, Mm -hmm. whether they are Adventist or whether they are Muslim or whether they are Catholic or agnostic right. or no religion at all. name name your religion we will help if there is need we will help and the, the reason for that is simply it's what jesus would have done right jesus didn't only help the jews jesus interacted a lot with the gentiles and and through that his ministry was mm-hmm. was furthered and through that the adventist ministry is furthered by us extending the love of god to these people that may not know him in in any way they see that we are helping them despite our religious beliefs. That's right. And we're not forcing them to convert in order to help them either. 
it's it's long been the way that Adra has done things is we mm-hmm. will help no matter what. And remember, we run some projects in uh, Yemen, Syria, Iraq. I mean, right. these are predominantly Muslim countries, and we work there and we help because we love them and we want to help. There is no expectation in return. Right. This is Christ's work. That that is that is one of our strengths. I mean, particularly as you talk about in some of these in some of these countries, that is that is one of our strengths. In that when we go in and we and we help the officials, whether it be government or uh, or local local officials. Um, they recognize the fact that we're to help there to help everybody. In some cases, they're even surprised that we have helped others. I mean, I've heard stories where we've given out, and the government says, "Well, but you're giving it to everybody." And they say, "Well, absolutely, that's what we do." And they're just so pleased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they think this is this is yeah. really tremendous. But no, when it comes to need, um, it's no respecter of persons. That's right. You know, in time of time of disaster, distress. Mm-hmm. And so we're there to help the needs of a community, whatever is the makeup of that community. Um, that's where we go. And those are the people that we help. That's right. And, and that doesn't mean our... that we don't help Adventists. There's right. been many Adventists mm-hmm. that have, uh, that we've worked with throughout our history as well. And mm-hmm. it's because they were in the community that was most in need. So. Now, uh, sometimes we do get the question, maybe... We could take Haiti as an example. Someone from Montreal has a relative down there, and the hurricane has come through, and ADRA hasn't gone to help them. So maybe we can explain to some of our listeners how that can happen. How, how is it that ADRA isn't helping my Adventist friend in a particular village? Generally, projects are very specific when you take a look at the budget and uh, what they're set to do. Um, they pick households, they pick whatever the needs, and the choosing of who is helped is not just uh, determined by the ADRA, ADRA office. It's determined by by the local leaders, by the community. They will determine who are the people they see are the ones in need, and it's those people that we help. So it's it's not always in our hands to choose yeah, especially the during people. a disaster, correct? Right. Um, you're, each organization is assigned a certain area just to keep everything organized and so that there isn't overlap in services. Um, it helps uh, as you get together in a room with 20 other agencies that are providing assistance in a time of disaster that the country is divided up into certain areas, right? Sure, and you, and you may be dealing with a community where there are chiefs, and you would, we would go to them and you would say, so who are the people in need in your community? You know, you pick the people that you want us to assist mm-hmm. and that you want us to help. Yeah. Um, and so we do that. We work with the communities. Uh, we just don't go in there and say, this is what we're going to do. No, we go there and say, so where's your need? How can we meet that? And we develop programs in connection with them. Right. So at times, yes, there could be people that just aren't part of, part of that. Okay, well, thank you for that question. And uh, if you have a question that you would like to have us uh, answer here on the podcast, please send in your question to stayintouch at adra.ca. And if we read your question on air, we'll send you Faith to Change the World, a book about uh, how Adra Canada got started, and uh, we'll send that to you as our gift. Well, thank you to all who have uh, joined us on this podcast. Uh, Thanks, Teresa. Richard, for coming in today. It was a pleasure. uh, Thank you for the opportunity. And our regular co-hosts, thank you for joining us today. Anytime. (laughs) It's always enjoyable. (laughs) And uh, thank you also for listening today, and uh, we hope to see you back here on our next 
Adra Canada Insider. And remember, if you want to see any photos from Richard and Teresa's trip to Rwanda, do you sure. have any photos? They might oh. be selfies. All selfies. <laughs> Just all selfies. Okay. Oh, we, we have some photos. Yes, we'll definitely put up some photos uh, for this episode. And if you're approaching this episode through your iTunes podcast app, there's a section there while you're listening to the podcast. You might see it there. It said details. Click on that, and that'll take you to another option where it says web page for this episode. And click on that. You'll see the photos and maybe some videos that go with this episode. We do have a video on uh, the Promise Project that Teresa was doing a compliance on. That's right. (laughs) So we could maybe put that up there and some other photos from the the Promise Project. It's a wonderful project. Or you could visit adder.ca slash podcast and you can find find the link there. Yeah. All right. That's it for today. We'll see you down the road. Bye.